2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at KingCasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello
3: and welcome to Football Social Daily. I'm Jim and this is the only daily Premier League podcast which has a fresh show every day during the football season which is unbelievably Just under a month away. Right now, it's a little bit different. We'll bring you three episodes a week. And also, it's a bit different today too because we're not actually going to be talking very much about the Premier League. Instead, we're going to be looking ahead to this weekend's European matches for two Premier League clubs as Manchester City and Manchester United both creep closer to some European silverware. But the tests for them... Are getting tougher. We're also going to be talking about the FA Cup after the announcement that Cup replays will be scrapped. Is that the right call? And is it really just a short term change? Plus, it's Friday, so as always, we'll be dealing with some of the questions that you want answered in our AQA section of the show. That is all questions answered, and you can get us on social media for your questions next week. On duty today to deal with all of that, we've got Mr. Grumpy, aka Marley Anderson. You're right, Marley. Wow, thank you. This is uh, of all the seven dwarves, I wanted to be. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't that one. And we got the P- Fergal, the Professor Brennan. Hey, there, Fergal. You okay?
1: I'm good. I'm glad to avoid the the dwarves comparison. Thanks very much, Jim.
3: <laughs> Can make dwarves comparisons if you want. You've got the beard going on, so just just the height difference is the main issue there. <laughs> uh, right. Before we get into talking about the FA Cup replays, Fergal, I just just want to ask your opinion on the situation at Arsenal right now. Your view on Messer Ozil, who. It's a weird one because you would have got really short odds on him leaving the club this window it looked like a certainty but now he said he's staying put and he's gonna continue pocketing his
1: three hundred thousand pound a week thank you very much what's your take on this whole situation uh I'm not surprised to be to be perfectly honest uh you know to be as concise about it as possible I've said quite a few times that I would like to see him gone. I'd like to see the club sell him. I think it's been a long time since he's had a significant impact for the club, certainly on the pitch. Everything we seem to talk about relating to him is is off the pitch. But we see the same situation with Gareth Bale. We see the same situation with, with many, many footballers in the Premier League. The contract is essentially holding the club to ransom. The wages that he's on were agreed by a previous manager and by the club um he is, is not obviously going to take a pay cut to remain at arsenal football club there's very few clubs in european football that will be able to pay that or close to that to bring him to them um uh, so i think ultimately arsenal and and mikael are snookered by by the situation um the fact that he's come out and said it I, you know I've, I've read a lot of stuff online arsenal fans you know typically outraged as they like to like to pretend to be by certain things. Uh, I'm not surprised in the slightest. This is the the situation of Premier League footballers or or top-flight international footballers on huge contracts. He's been given this much money. He's not going to take a pay cut. He's under absolutely no um, stress to do so, and he's not going to. I think in terms of an exit, I think simply because of that level of money and the fact that his stock has fallen in the last 12, 18 months... The only realistic way I see of him leaving is is to China or possibly to the MLS and I think from his point of view he would only do that if his wages are matched. So I, I don't really see this situation moving anywhere quickly because all the legwork has to be done by Arsenal because of the situation that they find themselves in.
3: I mean, it's obviously going to impact how Arsenal deal with this transfer window. Not only is it a big chunk of wages, I mean, there might have been a small fee involved for him, but that's really neither here nor there. So it is going to have a knock-on effect for next season. But as for Ozil himself, I mean, is there any chance of him turning it around? Is there any chance of him reigniting his Arsenal career or is that kind of it? Is he going to be sitting on the bench till his contract expires, picking up his money and then moving on?
1: Yeah, I mean, if he makes the bench. Ozil, for the talents that he has, you can't really deny, yeah, he's a very skillful player, he, he has made an impact in games for Arsenal, and the kind of uh, uh, Ozil in brigade wheel out the start of the amount of assists he's laid on, etc, etc, but no, I don't see a way back for him into the starting starting lineup, particularly the direction that Arteta's looking to move the team in, and I think the big point that I always make with, with Ozil is that maybe fans don't necessarily see when they watch him on television, when... When you watch him live, when you watch him away from home, all the old stereotypes, all the things that make me wince that people say about Arsenal, he is the living embodiment of them. When you watch Arsenal away from home, uh, he doesn't work hard enough off the ball. He doesn't seem interested. And, and ultimately, the, that little bit of class that he has got and, and those assists that he's able to produce, mm. he just doesn't produce them Um, when we need them. We don't need him creating goals against <laughs> Bournemouth at home. We need him creating chances at the Etihad or Anfield or Old Trafford. And time and time again, that just doesn't happen. And when you're on the money that he's on, as, as you know, we've just mentioned, and when you're the status of the player you are within the squad, which is a fairly youngish squad, they need you to be doing that. They need you to be the player that goes, listen, I'll mm. do these things to show you how to do them in the future. And he's just not bothered. Well,
3: let's keep an eye on the future of Mesut Ozil and see what happens. But I did want to talk about the FA Cup because that's arguably the big news this week, if not the inevitable news, that the FA Cup for next season will not have replays. At the moment, it is just for the 2021 season. I assume it's going to go extra time and penalties, but there's no clarification on that. That's how these things normally go, rather than the straight to penalties. But the Caribou Cup semi-finals, they're going to be one-legged too, so there will be no two-legged affairs there was this a bit of an inevitable move marley did you see this one coming
0: uh yeah with the current with the current world as it is uh it's not a surprise to see them scrap uh as many unnecessary games as as possible and obviously there isn't that many unnecessary games in the football calendar so when you've you've still got replays hanging on in the fa cup um they were always going to look at them I, I think to uh to sort of skim the schedule a little bit more um and i'm i'm not against it this year um I don't know what I'm thinking over the over the longer term whether they whether they stick with it because it does seem like they've been there's been tentative sort of um discussions about getting rid of replays altogether there's always a lot of clamor every year when somebody goes to a replay there's always the media saying well should we have them or is it, has their time gone kind of thing because asking a a smaller team to beat a bigger team twice um well or draw with them and then beat them the second time is is harder than you know beating them on a one off occasion um but i'm not surprised to see it, to see it go this year um i'm i'm for it like looking at the calendar it's an absolutely ridiculous calendar from from start to finish there's games every 3 days there's very rarely teams that are going to get 7 days off so if you have to put a replay in in a week where you've already playing, you're already playing on the Tuesday night, you might end up playing Sunday, sort of midday, and then Tuesday, and then a replay on a Thursday wedged in somewhere, and then again on the Saturday or Sunday again. So you're talking four games in a week, and if you think players are going down injured this season, uh, since the restart, then God knows what they'll be like if if they start dealing with replays. So I'm kind of glad that they've that they've took the logical sense because I'd rather that than say let's just scrap the Carabao Cup because you know you you can't really do that with, with the with the um the sponsorship and everything that they've got and and everything like that so yeah I'm, overall I'm I'm not surprised and I'm I'd be interested to see if they ever they ever bring it back to be honest.
3: I think it's very unlikely that we're going to see replays come back it feels like the FA. And football in general has been looking for an excuse to slim the calendar down for a while. And I think this is the ideal excuse to trial that. In a similar way to the five-subs rule, had that been introduced next season, I think it would have been hard to find a way back from that. I think going back to FA Cup replays is very unlikely after this. But what does it mean, Fergal, in terms of the impact this could have? I guess for Premier League clubs, it means there will be less games, and it's probably a positive thing. But for the lower league clubs... Is there going to be an impact there? Because ultimately it means, say for example, Paul, and I remember a fixture from the past with your team Arsenal, there to play Farnborough Town and then Farnborough Town went back to Arsenal's ground and had a money-spinning second leg there. There will be no money-spinning second leg. There will be no trip to Old Trafford that rakes in enough cash to keep the club afloat for 15 years. It's going to be one hit and it will be luck of the draw a little bit more. So this could have a knock-on effect for clubs who are already struggling in the Football League.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, particularly over the next 12, 18 months or so, we're going to see this being the pattern across lower league clubs that they will be the ones financially hit. And generally speaking, the ones that we'll hear about will be Premier League sides that are suffering with financial issues and I think as you say that that little phrase of money spinning replay or this is their cup final or you know we're not we're not going to hear so many of those cliches next season because some what we're really seeing in, in big 10 foot high letters now is that the FA the Premier League and you know the powers that be within football in this country all they really do care about on the most part is the premier league preserving the premier league ensuring the premier league is is as strong as it possibly can be mm-hmm. um and i think as you say th- those little games where uh, you know a lower league side or even a non league side gets a gets a result at home or gets a replay back at their place it really really angers me that uh, when you do see premier league fans kind of oh yeah but uh, we've got a game you know in, in 3 days time you're like You just physically getting on the bus and driving to, you know, I don't know, Nowhereville, Shear, could save this club, could be paying (laughs) these players mortgages. So get your boots on, keep your mouth shut, and think of somebody else. But ultimately, players will not be asked to do that. And yeah, I know we we all know that second-string sides get put out in these games, but ultimately the importance that they have further down the football pyramid can't really be underestimated and as you say i I would agree i think we're on the long road to these never coming back because I, i would agree that um the fa have been looking for a way to get rid of them and now they've got the perfect opportunity to say oh Hands are tied. Can't do anything about
3: it. The other big news from the FA Cup is the prize money has been halved because of the financial hit of the coronavirus crisis. It's going to be a measly £1.8 million for the winners this season coming, which is, I've worked it out, it's the equivalent of roughly Jadon Sancho's big toenail. So not a huge (laughs) prize pot to be had if you do lift the FA Cup. Uh, There is more Cup chat coming up next on Football Social Daily. Slightly more prestigious in the form of the European competitions. We're going to be chatting about the Champions League for Manchester City and the Europa League for Manchester United. Their tie is coming up this weekend and we're going to do that next.
2: Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be
1: Sport Social.
3: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. So Manchester is currently flying the flag for Premier League football in Europe. City are in the Champions League. They've got a quarter final against Lyon tomorrow night. That's Saturday, by the way, if you're listening to this at some point in the future. Manchester United, meanwhile, they've got a Europa League semi-final. That's against Sevilla. More on that shortly when the prof catches up with a man who is in the know when it comes to their Spanish opposition. But first, let's focus on Manchester City. They've disposed of Real Madrid, and now they have what looks like on the face of it the relatively easier task of Leon as the opposition. This could be their
0: season for Champions League glory, Marley. Yeah, it could. Um, They haven't had a better shot at it, I would argue. Um, I think in, in my opinion, I think City have been uh, a stronger side in the last couple of years I mean last year they were as strong as strong as, as you could get when you had you know um, company and everyone still in the squad but this year they've had a, a slightly better run um mm. and I know they've had problems with uh, with Leon in the final in uh, in previous years and and they're a better side than what people give them credit for however I don't think you can ask for a better tie in a Champions League semi-final than Leon. Like that's I know they've beaten Juventus, I know they're a good side, however they finished a million points off PSG this year as they do every year and they're quite simply not one of the top five, top six clubs in Europe and when you're in the, the last four of the Champions League you're expecting to play a Barcelona, a Bayern, a PSG but Man City have been done a favour by Juventus getting knocked out by Leon and underestimating them slightly maybe. Um and it's up to, to Guardiola now to, to not do that and to uh to learn from the mistakes that Juventus made and draw on that past experience of playing Leon in, in last year's um group stage and uh, and getting past them because this is this is a perfect chance for them to get to the final um and play either who is it, PSG or Red Bull Leipzig. I mean that's that's as good as you can ask for. So um let's see let's see if they can do it
3: slight bit of confusion because man city leon is actually the quarter final even though the other quarter finals taken place man city leon is a quarter final for a place in the semi-finals just to clarify that a little bit it is a favorable draw fergal but as marley points out leon beat juventus in the last round who are amongst the favorites so leon are going to pose a threat all of their own and that's particularly going to be challenging for a Manchester City team who now know that Sergio Aguero
1: won't be available this season for any stage of the Champions League. Yeah, I I would agree with Marley that Lyon are not to be underestimated. They are a good side. They've they've just put out the Italian champions. Um, United fans will be looking at Memphis to pie, maybe with a little bit of uh, uh, guilt of how the situation ended with him at Old Trafford because he's tearing it up in, in France. But ultimately, I'd agree, City, this is their chance um, we all know that Guardiola is under a bit of pressure to win the Champions League. We all know that it's the holy grail that that's what Manchester sorry, Manchester City wants. Um, and that's what they've been building for, for for all these years. I do still think there's a big surprise waiting for them in the semi, however. Um, Bayern Munich, for me, are the favourites to, to go on and win it. Um, I think domestically, since they've come back, they've been absolutely brilliant uh shrugged off mm. Borussia Dortmund went on won the title won the German cup and they they absolutely pushed Chelsea aside uh yeah i know they had a, a strong first leg lead but Chelsea weren't really able to deal with them and i think they'll get i think they'll get past barcelona so i think city are in a position where there's a pressure on them because they're assumed to go and beat Lyon Whereas, despite the fact they had a lead over Real Madrid, there was still a bit of a view, and I, and I was definitely one of those people to, to think, well, Real Madrid have got all their experience, they've been there, they've done it, Zidane, so many of the players, and City were excellent against them, deserve to go through. Now it's a different type of pressure. Ultimately, you know, we see seeing the build-up to the game, Lyon will basically be described as a Sunday league team. I, I'll predict that now. The, the talk of Lyon will be, City just have to turn up and, and push them over. It won't be <laughs> like that, it'll be difficult, um, I expect them to get through. If they don't get through, I think that's a that's a big failure uh, against Guardiola for this season. Um, the absence of Aguero is a bit of an issue, but Jesus has shown in the two games against Madrid that he is capable of scoring goals when they need them. I, I still think there's doubts over him over the course of a season to, to replace Aguero and, and score 20-plus in the league and, and maybe more than that in all competitions. But I think the, the format of the competition suits certain players. And I think someone like him benefits from this idea of i need you to go out and perform today maybe a couple more games just focus on that and 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 you can get that from him um and i feel i think ultimately we're in such a strange situation with the structure of the tournament that you want to play to your players' strengths. If you've got players that like playing in this type of a competition where the pressure's focused on the 90 minutes in front of them, then City do have players that seem to react to that, and, and Jesus is one of them. So I'd expect them to be in the semi-final, but I think they, they could have a big, 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 big challenge waiting for them.
3: Wise words from Fergal Brennan. You should always be cautious of a surprising semi. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> 100%. 100%.
3: <laughs> Very wise words. I mean... The injury problem for Aguero is going to worry some City fans because Pep Guardiola has this criticism often put on him that he tends to overthink games particularly when he has key players missing and he needs to look for alternatives or it's a big game and City is now getting into this big game territory in terms of it being a Champions League quarterfinal and a semi-final etc etc should that be a concern for Blues do you buy into this rhetoric that Guardiola can overthink a situation Marley uh,
0: there is there is cause to to sort of think about that yeah Um he does tend to... you know, Because he thinks so tactically. I mean, if you think about how we think about football, it's pick a formation, pick your players, and, and, and you know, send them out on the pitch. And we, we, we could sit and criticise... You know, I can sit and criticise Steve Bruce for playing a back five when I think he should have played a back four. Whereas Pep Guardiola is like that on steroids. Like, he thinks about 100 things whether we think about two. So he's thinking... You know, I can, I can. How do I deal with Leon's narrow midfield? How do I, how do I stop um, Hussein uh, Aoua playing in midfield? How do I stop him getting on the ball? How do we stop Depay getting it in, in, uh, you know, certain positions where he can be dangerous? So, he's thinking, do us, do I start Cancelo at left back? Is he gonna get dragged out of position by, uh, you know, ad- an adventurous right back that that Leon might have? And he's thinking about things that are, are way above what we can think. And, and for that reason, I think he's got, he he's probably got 10 solutions to, uh, to how city could play and how they could set up and how they could win the game. But he's mm. sometimes maybe that can be too many. Um and cause he's, cause he's so tactically flexible. He's thinking, you know, if you've got three or four things to decide on, sometimes it's easier when you do just have one thing and, and you're very, very good at it rather than your four or five things. Cause you, you make, you you risk the chance of playing the wrong thing and, and making the wrong decision. But to be honest, I don't think it should. Guardiola's been here before. He's you know he's got the experience of getting to the later stages of the Champions League and going on and winning it with other clubs. Um, you know when he was with Barcelona, they were they were untouchable. And I think this this City team should they should beat Leon. It's not it's not the you know it's it's not a Barcelona. It's not a buy-in yet. So uh, they should they should handle Leon even without you know Aguero um, Jesus looks um, looks good I mean his his goals uh, against uh, Real Madrid in both legs will really um, give him some confidence and and really sort of get him up for for what's about to happen in the uh, the later stages of the Champions League so. With a bit of luck, they'll uh, they'll go through. Because I I mean, I want to see English teams go far in the Champions League, um, and I want I also want to see uh, City beat Bayern because I just I'm starting to get really annoyed with how Bayern are, are constantly moaning about other teams being um, you know being able to buy the best players when they've been <laughs> hoovering up all the best talent in Germany for the last ten years, and I think it's it's so hypocritical of the the directors and stuff there that I'd love to see them get, get handled by either Barcelona or Man City and, and, and watch C go on and, and reach the final and have the uh, the World War 3 money final that is Qatar versus the UAE and have Man City versus PSG because Miguel Delaney will have an absolute <laughs> breakdown
3: um, there's a little bit of controversy before a ball has even be kicked in this one. The ref for this game is a fella called Danny McKelly, who is a Dutch guy. He's also an Ajax fan. Now, the controversy comes because if City win this tie, then for some reason, I can't quite work out the permutations, but if City win, for some reason, Ajax automatically qualify for the Champions League next season. If Lyon win, then Ajax will have to go through the qualifying stages Of the Champions League. So there's a suggestion that there may be a little bit of a conflict of interest. So all eyes on the ref on Saturday night. As for Sunday night, well that's the other big European game. That comes for Manchester United at the other end of Manchester. Sunday night they're going to be taking on Sevilla in the Europa League semi-final. United arguably now favourites for the whole trophy now. But they've got some tricky Spanish opposition first. To find out a bit more about who they're going to be up against, Fergal caught up with Colin Miller, a La Liga journalist and the author of The Frying Spain of Spain, a book all about the rivalry between Betis and Sevilla, and asked him his opinion on what
1: Manchester United Sevilla would hold. Here's what happened. (laughs) Colin, so Europa League last four, England versus Spain, La Liga versus the Premier League. Obviously, these types of games they, they bring up the age-old argument of comparing leagues, and the Premier League's always compared to La Liga, Serie A, the Bundesliga. But in the example of Sevilla, there'll be Premier League fans will be listening to this and, and looking forward to the game. Who will think? Well, I know about Real Madrid and I know about Barcelona, but Man United against Sevilla they'd be edging towards United winning that. Would that be the right track to go on? Or do you think the kind of Premier League rose-tinted glasses could be on for a, a bit of a surprise?
2: Well, it's a really, really intriguing fixture. Um, partly because both clubs and both teams are in such good form going into this game. I think, you know, we all know about Manchester United's very strong finish uh, to the season domestically, and of course they've carried it on into European form. But Sevilla too—they're actually on a on a club record unbeaten run of nineteen matches at the moment, and they've won seven of their last eight, and they've only conceded one goal in that time. So that shows you what kind of form they're in, and. I think most people probably would have seen uh, their exploits against Roma and against Wolves. um, Two victories, which, you know, very tricky opponents, but Sevilla were very convincing in both those matches. So, yeah, these are are two teams who are bang in form, and I think like any other team at this stage of the season, in this season, there's going to be a an element of fatigue of tiredness but i think other than that these are these you know these, these guys are in very good form two very talented teams um and they're pretty well matched actually so i think this one could really go either way obviously the fact that it's a one off match too just gives it that little added added edge of unpredictability but i think most united fans as well will probably think back to two years ago when sevilla uh, eliminated them from the round of 16 in the champions league and obviously that was a that was a traumatic night for, for United. Um and I think both both teams have obviously changed quite a bit since then. I think both teams have improved since then too. So whilst I wouldn't say that's a particularly good measure to go on, it does show that this is this is a really, really tricky game for United.
1: And obviously, looking at the result from, from 2018, that probably still haunts the memory of United fans, but one of the interesting things pre-game was Ray Wilkins um, kind of laying into Sevilla and saying that no Sevilla player would get into the United team, and that followed on from John Aldridge's comments before the 2016 final against Liverpool, which Liverpool then lost, where he said that Sevilla had no experience in, in European finals, despite the fact that they're the most successful team in the Europa Cup and the Europa League. Do you still think that attitude remains within the Premier League to Towards a team like Sevilla, and and when they come, particularly when they come up against a, a Premier League team,
2: I think the attitude still exists. You know, we we've, we've seen from those comments, and obviously those are those are a little bit extreme. You know, so I mean, the Sevilla you're talking about a club who've won five Europa League titles, um, all coming in the past 14 seasons too. So it's not like this is a club who historically have ha- have achieved quite a lot of success, but in, in sort of contemporary memory in, in recent years. Nobody has been anywhere near as prolific in the Europa League as Sevilla. You know, the, the second the second club to win is, is three titles. So they've really gone and surpassed that. And yet this is a club who are used to winning. They've got a really strong mentality and they always seem to leave their best performances for this sort of stage of the season, and certainly in this competition too, as we all know, so I think I think maybe the the attitudes in recent years are probably starting to change. You know, people are are slightly more aware of the top teams in Spain outside of Madrid and Barcelona, but there's still there's still a, a a level of ignorance that obviously will exist, but I think I think when people what people start seeing the game and even having beaten Wolves, another Premier League side, uh, this week, it, it, you know, it, it, this is this is a team who are obviously gonna be a very, very tricky opponent and, and and players who are probably gonna become very familiar with a lot of fans in the next couple of years
1: and obviously Bissam Ben Yedder who was the player that scored twice to put United out in, in 2018 he's moved on so, you're not, uh, so Sevilla have obviously changed in terms of the way they set up and, and who their key men are looking at the team against Wolves obviously former Manchester City player Jesus Navas Diego Carlos has been linked with Liverpool uh, Jules Koundé at centre-back is, is really emerging as a talent and Ava Benega keeping things ticking over in midfield um, when you look at the team there's obviously issues uh, Thomas Vaklik who's first-choice keeper is not going to play you two fans uh, will be looking at Bono, who's possibly going to play, who's Sevilla's key man here that, that United will need to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting question, and I'm talking about the 2018 game that Ever Banega is the only is the only starter from that game. He'll be he'll be featuring um, in the semi final, and it could potentially be his last game for the club as he's off to Saudi Arabia um, whenever Sevilla's Europa League campaign ends. So he, he and he is still a star. He's still a star player. He's the guy that controls the game from the middle of the pitch. He's very neat and tidy with his passing, but he's a real threat as well. But Sevilla's, Sevilla's main goal scoring threat is a guy called Lucas Ocampos, who they signed from Marseille last year. Uh, he's an Argentinian uh, sort of attacking midfielder slash winger. He, he, he's very flexible, but he's a real threat. He scored 18 goals this season. And he's the danger man to look out for. He's the guy that got the the winner against Wolves. But yeah, there's there's real threats throughout this team. Jesus Navas and Sergio Reguilon, who has been linked to a uh, move to Chelsea this summer, they're both real threats coming up from wing backs from a sort of wing back position. And I mean, it's a, it's a team who, who who whilst they don't really have a number nine, who's who's really prolific in the league it's a team who share the goals out throughout the team so yeah it's going to be really interesting to see I think United are going to need to get shackles on benega they're going to need to combat the, the threat from wide that Navas and Regional pose and Lucas Campos. he's the guy that they really need to watch out for and he's Sevilla's he in danger man
1: and obviously Colin's biting his tongue here really because whilst he's the go-to man on Andalusian football and particularly Sevilla and, and Real Betis he is a Manchester United fan so split loyalties, professional, personal here uh, if you were to, to stick your neck out and, and predict this, where, where do you think it's going to go?
2: It's a really, really tough one to call. you know, And the fact as well that this is only one leg rather than two, as we've mentioned, that's, that just makes it that little bit less predictable. It's about who, who has the better tactical setup on the night or maybe a, an inspirational performance. But yes, these two teams are really well matched. I think that Manchester United have a, have a higher ceiling. I think they're individually they certainly got better players, certainly in attacking areas, and they're players who've they've got more match winners. But Sevilla, as a team and as a unit, I think they're more consistent. They they deliver more frequently, and they're in slightly better form going into this. Uh, one of the things I noticed from United in recent games is just how tired they look. They really do look exhausted, and, and, and it's it's natural for them to do so after such a such a demanding uh, fixture schedule, and they maybe don't have the rotation there because of the squad options or, or the lack of squad options. So I think... I still think United are slight favourites, but it's going to be a very close game. There's going to be a goal in it either way, I think, and it's just about whoever, whoever can come up with the goods in the final third of the pitch will we'll decide who wins this one.
1: Fair enough, well you heard it here first don't listen to John Aldridge, don't listen to Ray Wilkins you want to listen to Colin Miller if you want to know about Sevilla, you can follow Colin at Miller underscore Colin and if you want to know more about Sevilla and their rivalry with Real Betis, you can pick up his book The Frying Pan of Spain which focuses on the brilliant Andalusian derby Colin, thanks so much for joining us today
2: Pleasure to be on the show Faragov, thanks for having me
1: Nice one, Fergal. We're going to be looking back
2: at both of those
3: matches on Monday's podcast. So hit subscribe so you get that show in your podcasting app or your downloads folder as soon as it's ready. Right, there is one more bit of Friday's podcast to come. We're going to be tackling your questions in our Any Questions Answered portion of the podcast. And that is happening next.
2: Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. Sports Social.
3: Welcome back to the final stage of Football Social Daily for today's show. We're going to be flying through a few of your questions. It is AQA, all questions answered. Your questions have come in via social media. If you want a question for next week's show, you can get us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Facebook, just search Sports Social, or you can find us on Instagram as well. We're Sports Social Official there. All those links and loads more you can find on our website, sports social. Dot co. UK. So the first question is from rule Sundar on Twitter. It kind of fits in with what we were talking about earlier. His question is Should they scrap the Caribou Cup for next season? It will be way too congested to play every three, four days during December and April. Marley, you've kind of had just say on this earlier when we we're talking about the FA Cup. So let's get your view on this one, Fergal.
1: Caribou Cup done for next year? no i don't think so um and i think for the reasons that we you know laid out for the fa cup we can't create a situation where any sort of carrot for a lower league not even a lower league side a championship or league one side for the 2020-21 season is is completely removed i understand that premier league clubs particularly you know top four top six sides get annoyed by the carabao cup because they simply have no interest in it you know i know guardiola pretends that he's massively excited and that he counts it on his list of trophies we all know that he doesn't really um but it is needed this sort of idea that we have to strip away and strip away in order to preserve the premier league at absolutely all costs it is going to ruin um football clubs up and down the country so yeah we associate you know the romance with the fa cup because of the replays and you know it's the oldest competition in world football etc but the carabao cup does have a place and you know we've discussed it on the podcast quite a few times uh, earlier on in the 1920 season the reformatting of it and the kind of jazzing up of it has improved it. You know, we, we're all maybe a little bit grumpy. Well, definitely you, Marley, a bit grumpy. But I, I, <laughs> I do like is <laughs> sticking. I actually quite enjoyed it this season. It was it was more exciting than it's been for years. There was goals, there was big teams playing against each other, um, and, and it didn't seem to be as slow and lethargic as it's been in previous years where you can clearly see big teams are going... Oh, the Carabao, or oh, what's it called this year? The I don't know. Oh, I can't say any sort of brand. The, the unnamed drink brand cup this year. Uh, but I think the, the reformatting of it has improved it. And you cannot just get rid of it just for this idea of we need to preserve the Premier League. I understand there's going to be congestion. There's going to be congestion regardless next season. That's something that people are just going to have to, to deal with. You know, we're dealing in a, in a much wider uh, pandemic at the moment. That's just something we all have to, have to roll with. Getting rid of the Carabao Cup, I think, will be another blow for non-Premier League teams at a time when they're struggling financially. If you're going to take away FA Cup replays and then you're going to take away the Carabao Cup, I think you're just asking for trouble because I think it's open season then. What other things do you start taking away that ultimately will negatively impact teams that, that are outside the top flight. I think you hit the nail on the head when you say for financial reasons, but I think the
3: reason it will stick around is more to do with the finances of the FA than the lower league clubs, because it is a commercial proposition. They can get a sponsor for it. It does, well, not at the moment it doesn't, but normally it would bring bums on seats when it comes to Wembley. It fills that stadium for the final. So I don't think it's going to be going anywhere soon, but I mean... The, me- the question does raise a que- does raise the issue of the congested, se- the congested fixture list for next season. And, Marley, we were talking about this yesterday. We've got a glimpse of how that fixture list looks. And when you look at the games weeks in the Premier League, you look at the FA Cup, you look at the Carabao, you look at the international breaks, which are going to be congested next season. They've got to fit in qualifying for the World Cup somewhere as well. You're looking at games every three days, pretty much, for the entirety of the season. It is going to be relentless for the players involved.
0: Yeah, and it's um, it's it's gonna be tough for uh, to balance squads and and keep everyone fit, and that might have an effect on the the transfer market and everything like that. Um, but it's that's just the nature of what we're in. I don't think you know we're not we're not doing this out of choice. We're doing it out of necessity. This is the the global pandemic's uh, reason. You know, knock on effect of everything. So. You know, if 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 players have got a cup for a season, then you know I, I don't feel like it's a massive thing. Like it just it just sort of stretches what you've got. It br- it brings the neutral more football, um, there's more football on TV, which is brilliant for any any fans and everything like that. So I I'm still I I you know I still like how it is. Um, I think the only the only thing you could really do with the Carabao Cup is maybe um. You know, make it purely for teams that aren't in Europe. But when you think about that, I mean, a lot of people have said that over the over the coming years, the money would just go down because, realistically, you want to see the top six teams. You want to see the best teams in the country play for cup finals. Like if you had Leicester versus Everton in the in the Carabao Cup final, the neutral wouldn't watch it. People from overseas wouldn't watch it. The The Chinese market, the Indian market, the Australian, American markets, they wouldn't tune in to see that. You need the top six in competitions to, to make it worth the money. And if you said to, to Carabao, um, you know, sorry, lads, um, it's going to be the without the top six, they're going to say, well, what are we paying for this sponsorship for if no one from around the world is watching your league, uh, watching your cup? Because we paid, as Carabao, we we paid for the exposure to the American market, to the Chinese market, to everything. And if you take the big teams out, then the the interest around the world um, becomes less. So they've got to keep it um, from a from a brand perspective. And I know football shouldn't be about advertising, but if you if you don't think it, it's a massive part of football, then you're burying your head in the sand because that's what makes that's what pl- pays wages. It what that's what. Gets a knock-on and a drip-down effect into football um, on all levels. You you would uh, you would think if you if you looked into it. So, uh, it's it's a tough situation, but I think they've done the right thing by just keeping it and saying, look, you know, it might be a bit funny this year, and there might be people taking it less seriously. But still, at the end of the day, if you're even if a top club's playing the under twenty threes, you know, six under twenty threes in their first team. Um, because they can't be bothered with with all the congestion, then I still think it's better than not having that team in the in the cup at all.
3: Yeah, so there's your answer. It ain't going anywhere for the time being. Next question is from Craig on Facebook. He's very blunt with his question. He says, "So is Sancho gonna leave Dortmund or what?" So what we're saying is, I mean, the, the rumours wow. been flying around. Jim, you all...
0: should have shouted "Park Life" at the end of that.
3: <laughs> the rumours have been flying around all year, pretty much. The Dortmund big bosses have now said no. Dor- Sancho's not going anywhere. He's staying. What would you say the likelihood was at the moment of Sancho leaving Dortmund this window, Marley? Uh,
0: I don't know. To be honest, um, my issue is like <laughs> insight. Yeah, my my issue is is when anybody says anything about a player from any source, any club, any journalist, you never know whether it's true. There is no way of knowing whether it's true. So. Um, I think it was Zorc, the um, is it Jean Michael Zorc or something, the the mm. Dortmund chairman or one of the board or whoever he is, sporting director, whatever he is, he was saying like, oh, you know, San- we're preparing with Sancho, and he would say that, of course he would, because he's still a Dortmund player and nothing's been um, decided and and there's no there's no outcome to this, but he said that about Usman Dembélé a couple of years ago, and less than two months later, Dembélé was playing for Barcelona. Um, for a, I think seventy million or whatever it was, you know, big fee. Um, so there's there's previous for him, not not lying, but not not giving the outcome before the the windows shut. So you can't really, you've got to take what he says with a pinch of salt because money talks in football. And if they offer enough money, he will be a Man United player. It's as simple as that. Everyone's got their pricing in any football club, um, but especially with Dortmund's model for the last few years has been sell your best players and buy some emerging ones um because they've done it they've done it for years so i j- i do think sancho is for sale at the right price it's just a case of whether man united want to break the bank for him in, and we've talked about it you know previously on other podcasts um we i think we all think that he's worth the outlay um but we all kind of know that when you've got an accountant running your football club, they are looking to to spend as little as possible and balance the books as best as they can. So, it's uh, it's a case of what your know, which power pulls through, either the staying power of of um, of Zork and, and Dortmund to, to keep him there, or to or the pulling power of Man United and, and Ed Woodward's uh, spreadsheets.
3: I'm a little bit torn on this because I'd like to see him at Manchester United. But at the same time, I'd quite like to see a Dortmund team with Sancho in it and Haaland in it and Bellingham in it. I think that could be really exciting for next season. I guess at the end of the day, Fergal, this is a bit of a tried and tested method. And actually, he's staying here next season, kind of translates as you're not getting this guy on the cheap.
1: Yeah, and I think I think Marley's absolutely right. Zork can come out and say what he wants, but if United do pay the the reported 120 million euro for Sancho, I think that will be enough to to tip the balance in their favour. I think a lot of this comes down to the player, and this is where we get lost in the mire of you know believing too much that we read on Twitter, maybe, or, or what we read in certain media sources or in the no accounts and and all this sort of stuff. Ultimately, if Jaden Sancho wants to move back to England, he will push through the move. We, we know, generally speaking, how these moves go down. If the player wants it and there's enough willingness and the money is there from the buying club, the selling club eventually give in. We, we've seen this even in difficult situations with, with Daniel Levy and Tottenham. Ultimately, it goes through if the player and his agent is, you know, quote-unquote, motivated to, to get the deal done. Um, the interesting bit for me here is, and I've seen a lot of this from United fans, the assumption that, of course, he'd want to come to Manchester United We're Manchester United. And I think uh, what what we're looking at at the moment is, it's the big club argument again. And there's absolutely no way of measuring it. It's like counting the, the grains of sand on a beach. United are a massive club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, undoubtedly. But Dortmund are a better team. And Dortmund are a better team. And have been for the last few seasons. And what Dortmund also have that United don't have is a plan and, and a direction they're moving in. As you say, the signing of Bellingham shows that they're, they're building even more for the future. They managed to get Haaland when a number of other sides wanted him. He's, you know, after Mbappe, probably the best central striker of his age in European football. So if the the project, as much as none of us like that word, can be sold to Sancho again for next season and moving forward, I think he'll stay. But ultimately, money does does kind of move these these chess pieces around. But it's an interesting one of the situation at Dortmund. Have they got the pulling power not to convince him of of where they're going? Because he can clearly see, and he he did an interview last week of saying, oh, "It's exciting times to be here. The young players. I'm enjoying being a, a little bit of a leader for them." But he probably knows that they're never going to be a superpower like Bayern Munich they're going to get maybe one out of every four Bundesliga titles quarter-final maybe semi-final of the Champions League but I would argue that United are not going to offer any better than that certainly in the short term Sancho comes in United not going to win the league or you know go into the semi-finals of the, the Champions League just because of his effect it's going to take years for them to get back to being title challengers uh, given how high the bar is set by City and, and Liverpool at the minute so I think the big club, better team argument will be what Dortmund is hoping will keep him. Um, I think it's going to roll on. Uh, United have the money, but we all know that Woodward has this strange way of doing transfers, as we saw with Fernandes, that this could get pushed on and pushed on and the transfer window being extended into October. We could be a quarter of the season done and we're still reading Sancho to United. Will it or won't it be done? Um, I, I don't see it being done in the short term, at least, Um but if, if Dortmund are able to continue to sell what they've been selling to him so far, then I, I think he'll stay. I can already hear the
3: Manchester United fans who have pictures of Anthony Marshall as their avatar on Twitter getting furious about your claims that Dortmund <laughs> are a better team than Manchester United, Fergal. You have enraged... The Red Army there.
1: Would you disagree?
3: (laughs) No, probably not. Uh, There are rumours in the mirror today as well saying that Dortmund are quite happy to hang on to Sancho because they think if they keep him for another season, then Barcelona or Real Madrid will be more than happy to stump up the cash next year. So, final question on today's podcast. We'll do this one really quickly, so I just want a really quick answer from you guys on this. Uh, Robert on Instagram says, which league... Except the Premier League, do you think will be in the best in Europe in the next in the 2020s? So I guess for the next five ten years. For example, I don't think anyone would have thought Syriat would be so poor for most of the 2010s. So can Serie or the Bundesliga reach the top whilst being so predictable and overtake La Liga, which has been dropping off steadily since the Pep Mourinho years? So there you go. Which league is going to be the most entertaining? for
1: the next five, ten years. Fergal, who's your pick? Uh, I would go for La Liga. Um, I think Serie A has been better this season, but ultimately, we, we want to talk about title races. I don't see it being more than a two-horse race in Germany for some time. Um, and I think, even though they've just brought Perlo in, I, I still think Juventus have Virtually untouchable in, in Italy, so we talk about excitement for title races. You're always going to have uh, Bayern and, and uh, sorry Barcelona and Real Madrid button heads. You don't get that in in Germany and Italy because Munich are just too strong and, and Juventus are just too strong. And the, the the other top four battlers, you know, Sevilla, who we talked about before, and Atletico, they're better than their Italian and German counterparts. So I'd go for La Liga.
0: Looking outside England, I th- I still think the Premier League is going to be the most competitive sort of one to twenty in the next ten years. Um, and I think with the rebuild that's coming at Man City, I think they'll they'll uh, be competitive again. I think the same with with Man United. Uh, but looking outside that, the European leagues, if you look, I think if you look at Spain, obviously there's only two teams that ever compete for it, really. Um, but outside that, there's not too many that sort of clash. If that makes sense, like the the lack of quality isn't is is quite big um so i personally i quite like germany i think outside of bayern i think the teams are are fairly um there's there's a lot of sort of similarly talented teams i think dortmund and leipzig are obviously probably the pick of them but leverkusen are are, are, a good team um and then outside that you've got teams like hoffenheim schalke uh, Wolfsburg are all right, not as not as good as he used to be, but I just think if if you took out the the big teams in every sort of the 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 last two winners of every league in Europe, I think Germany would probably have the the most even even league because I think anybody could win it. Um, I think it would be a, a race between Leipzig, Dortmund, Schalke, Leverkusen. Uh, whereas if you took sort of If you took um, Barcelona and Real Madrid out of Spain, then I just think that Atletico would win it because they're clearly the third best. And I just think there's more of a ranking there. And then on top of that, if in the Premier League, if you took out Man City and um, if you took out sorry Liverpool, Man City would win it. And if you took out uh, them, if you took out um, City, then. You know, it'd be between four or five teams rather than there's no there's no clearly third best team in that league. So I just think, you know, it'd be a bit more of a free for all. So yeah, that's I don't know if that answers your question at all. But I basically I quite like I quite like the competitiveness of Germany.
3: Disappointed there weren't any shouts for the Nzmzeti Bajnoksag uh, league. Which any uh, on, extra points if you can tell me which country's league that is? Say it again, Mzeti-Bajnog-Sag. Bajnoksag. <laughs> Egypt no Belarus not bad Hungarian League all eyes on that next season Uh, right that is it for today's Football Social Daily thank you very much for listening as always don't forget you can get the latest news and match reports and match previews in audio form via our new Very flashy website, sports-social.co.uk. You can also find us on your Amazon Alexa speaker and on your Google Home speaker. Just say Open Sports Social or Talk to Sports Social, depending which device it is you are using. Fergal, Marley, thank you very much, boys. Thank you. Lovely. And we'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Don't forget to subscribe.
2: Football Social Daily. Get ready to play with a 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins over your first two deposits at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org.